We're going to read a few verses here in this portion. Genesis chapter 36, beginning with verse number 1. Let's all stand as we read this portion. Genesis chapter 36, beginning with verse 1. It says, Now these are the generations of Esau, who is Edom. The first part of verse 2 says, Esau took his wives of the daughters of Canaan. Go down to verse number 6. And Esau took his wives and his sons and his daughters and all the persons of his house and his cattle and all the, his beasts and all his substance, which he had got in the land of Canaan, and went into the country from the face of his brother Jacob. For their uh, riches were more than that they might dwell together, and the land therein they were strangers could not bear them because of their cattle. Thus dwelt Esau in Mount Seir, Esau is Edom. Go, if you would, to one other verse. Go to chapter, uh, the same chapter, verse number 43. As it's reading through all the different dukes and the different rulers of uh, Edom, Duke Magadil, Duke Iram, these are the dukes of Edom according to their habitations in the land of their possessions. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would be with us. And God, I thank you for this time of once again to open your precious word to learn the truth that you have before us. Father, you said that Jesus has a name which is above every name. But you've also said that you're, you've exalted your name, your word above your name. Father, your word is precious, it's special. There's nothing like the Bible. And Father, it is the truth. Jesus prayed to sanctify them, the disciples, the believers, through thy word. Thy word is truth. Father, today I pray that we would know the truth and that, Lord, we would apply the truth to our life. And, Lord, as we talked in Sunday school, that the truth would make us free. Lord, we would not be bound by sin, bound by our own ways of life, but be set free because we are following the truth. Father, we thank you, we praise you today, and I pray, God, for your words. Thank you for this opportunity to preach from this pulpit. Lord, we give you all the praise, the honor, and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. A senior executive, one of the largest banks in New York City, once told of his rise to prominence. He served as an office boy when he went in to work at this particular bank. But then one day, the president of the company called him into his office and he said, I want you to come into my office and be with me each day. This young man, as he uh, came into the office of this president, he says, but what can I do to help you, sir? I, I don't know anything about finance. And the president said, never mind that. You will learn what I want to teach you a lot faster if you'll just stay by my side and keep your eyes and ears open. The now famous banker said, that was the most significant experience of my life. Being with that wise man made me just like him. I began to do things the way he did. 
And that accounts for what I am today. We learn much quicker by watching someone's model than we do by hearing. Our Lord had the disciples with Him for three and a half years. They watched how Jesus spoke to the people. How He taught them. How He prayed. How He ministered. They had a tremendous example to follow. In fact, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20-23, through 23, talks about the example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, For what glory is it when ye are buffeted for, the, for your faults, ye shall take it patiently. But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that ye should follow His steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in His mouth, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Paul spoke of the importance of godly examples. Godly role models for us to follow. Turn with me, if you would, keep your finger here in this portion, but go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 in the New Testament. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 17. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 17. Paul speaks about the importance of examples here. He says in Philippians 3, 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us, for an example, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. You know, there are some Christians that are the enemies of the cross of Christ. There's some people that are so-called Christians who are not following the, the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ and they're actually, by their life, are the enemies of the, of the cross of Christ. Verse number 20, he says, verse 19, excuse me, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. These people, their focus, their thought is on earthly things. It's all about uh, the pleasures of this world. It's all about this world and, and what I can get and, and give me all these things out of this world. The Bible says, verse 20, for our conversation, our manner of living is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who shall change our vile body, that it might be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse number 1. Paul once again encouraging people to follow the right type of example. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. He says, you follow me as I follow Christ. We ought to follow godly examples. You say, well, pastor, I'm to follow Christ. Yes, but we're also to follow godly examples who show us how we're to live and how we're to, how we're to be, how we're to talk, what we're, how we're to, uh, to be in this world. 
It's a lot easier to see by example like that young man that we were just talking about. He learned from the president of that company what he should do and how he should talk and how he should behave. And for, uh, for people, it's easier for them to see by example. 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 12, Paul talking to Timothy talks about being an example to the believers. Paul says this to Timothy. He says, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. He says, Timothy, you need to be an example so people know what it is to, to walk in faith, what it is to, to walk according to the word of God, and what it is to pray. It's important that we have the right type of model. People are watching not only our talk, but they're watching our walk. Consider the following concept or following com uh, comments on this issue. Someone has said, others follow in our footsteps quicker than they follow our advice. Someone else has said, a good example is the best sermon. Well, they're just not listening to me preach. Well, folks, what does your life say to them? Sometimes the message of our life negates the words that come from our mouth. William Gladstone said, one example is worth a thousand arguments. You know, we talk about Jesus Christ. He's alive. Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. And we talk about how wonderful a Savior he is. And the words come out of our mouth, but I'm sharing with you today that your life demonstrates whether he is truly king of kings and lord of lords because of how you look to him how you let him guide your thoughts and your words and your deeds people can hear and see in your life the message and will listen to that a lot quicker than they will what comes out of your mouth someone else has said you become like those you spend time with you say oh Sometimes Christians like to spend more time with the worldly people than they do with Christians. People who love the things of God, can I tell you something? You'll ta start taking on the flair of those people that you're around. You say, well, how do you know? Lot. A good example, he was a man, the Bible calls him a righteous man, but he pitched his tent towards Sodom, and he began to live and, and, to, and to work and to be around those people and started taking the thinking. And now, uh, if you read through the Scriptures, we find that Lot comes and he's at the, at the uh, gate of the city, the place of prominence, and the people, when he's telling them about the fact that God's getting ready to destroy Sodom and, and you need to change your ways, and they, they mocked him. His sons-in-laws mocked him because his life didn't match what his words said. The Earl of Chesterfield said, we are, in truth, more than half what we are in uh, imitation. The great point is to choose good models and to study them with care. Well, there's a lot of bad role models out there today. A lot of young people look to uh, the sports figures and, and they look at those people and they say, boy, that's what I want to become like. I want to be like them. I want to have the prestige. Uh, sometimes people will look at rock stars and they'll say, well, that's what I want to be like. And folks, those are not good role models. We ought to find good role models 
We start off early in life, patterning our life after those we are around. Our parents, our brothers, our sisters, our grandparents, our friends, our co-workers. We start patterning our life after others. It's always interesting to watch uh, an older brother with a younger brother. Young, you know, the, the older brother, he does, he does a little flinch, and the younger one, he starts doing the same thing like the older brother because he wants to be like the older brother. The first question we need to ask ourselves, what pattern are we following for our life? We're following a pattern today. All of us are. Are we following a good pattern? Are we following an evil pattern? And the second question I think we need to ask ourselves is this. What type of pattern are we leaving for others to follow? Well, our life is a pattern. And we followed somebody and we're going that direction. I wonder what pattern we're leaving for that next generation to come behind. What are they going to see? How are they going to act? I remember when I was a youth pastor, one, I was talking on this principle about having good godly friends because they're going to help to shape the pattern of your life. And one person says, I don't want people to follow me. Well, it's because they weren't walking with God. You ought to be walking with God, folks. You ought to be walking with the Lord. You ought to desire the things of God. If you're a Christian, now if you're not a Christian, can I tell you something? The things of God are foolishness unto you. The thought of praying, the thought of, of hearing the preaching of God's word and being in the house of God and doing what God wants you to do and, and uh, trusting not your own, your own wisdom, but, but uh, as Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. All your ways acknowledge him and, and he shall direct your paths. You won't want that. You won't desire that because you don't understand what it's all about. The, the starting place is Jesus Christ. Asking Jesus to come into your heart and into your life to save you because you're a sinner just like all the rest of us. And we need a Savior. But when Jesus comes into our life, if we're truly saved, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I want to follow Jesus. I don't know about you, I want to follow Jesus. He's my shepherd. David said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord knows what we need. He knows how to direct our steps. He knows how to take care of us. He knows how to provide. In our text today, we find that Esau modeled a way of life for his family. What type of model was he? And was it something which God would be pleased with? Uh, did they follow in uh, did did the, the families follow in his footsteps? Well, consider, if you would, as we consider look at this portion back in Genesis chapter 36. Esau was a man who, uh, who modeled his way of life. In verse 36, notice, uh, we find the descendants of Esau. I just read a few of those verses. I think that this was significant as we read that. Chapter 36, it says, Now these are the generations of Esau. These are the families, these are the, the descendants of Esau, who is Edom. Verse number 8. Thus shall Esau, uh, thus dwelt in e, uh, Esau in Mount Seir. Esau is Edom. When you thought, think about the people of Edom, the starting point was Esau. Esau was the one who became the father, if you would, of the Edomites. Go down to verse number 9. And these are the generations of Esau, the father of the Edomites, in Mount Seir. 
when you think about how those people were, how they conducted themselves, how they, how they uh, acted toward people, you saw that the starting place was Esau. In verse 43, it says, Duke uh, Magadel, Duke Iram, these are the dukes of Edom according to their inhabitants and the land of their possession. He is Esau, the father of the Edomites. So what type of model did Esau demonstrate to his family? I want you to see, first of all, Esau was a self-made man. Esau was a self-made man. Go back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. It talks in Genesis 25 about Esau. Talks about the two sons here, Jacob and Esau. Genesis chapter 25 and verse number 27. Notice what we have here in this portion of Scripture. You have Isaac and Rebekah have two sons in this portion of Scripture. You have Jacob and Esau. And it says here in verse number 27, And the boys grew. And Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in the tent. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Can I tell you something? He had a divided house with Isaac and Rebekah. One favored one son, one favored the other. Can I tell you something? That's going to cause division in any home. You ought to treat all your children the same. You say, well, pastor, you know what? This one just kind of, there's just certain things about this one that really just bring joy to my heart. But this one over here, well, it's okay. But, you know, but this one really, can I tell you something? You are setting your children up for, con for conflict. You ought to love all your children the same. All of them are special. All of them are precious. All of them are a gift from God. And as we think of Esau here, the daddy loved Esau more than he loved Jacob. But I want you to consider something about Esau. He was, as I said, he was a self-made man. It says the boys grew and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. That word cunning is in the Hebrew is the word yada, and it means to know, to be skilled, to make oneself known. That's what this word means. He was a man who lived by his wits. If you wanted to know about hunting, and I know that here in Montana people love hunting. You, got, you could hear the shots out there trying. I don't wonder how many geese were knocked out of the air today. Uh, just on the other, just across the road over here. If you wanted to know about hunting, though, you would go to Esau because he knew all the tricks. He, he lived by his wits. And he knew how to hunt, but he also knew how to tell everybody else how great a hunter he was. If you're looking for someone who knew about hunting, Esau was the man. You know, there are those today who look to themselves as self-made men and women. Hey, I've worked hard to get to where I am today. That's what some people say. I pulled myself up by my bootstraps. I've heard men say that. I remember my wife and I were out uh, visiting one day on a, uh, just calling on some folk, and we visited a couple for some time. The couple seemed to very, be very nice, and the husband proceeded to tell of his rise to the top of his profession. He started telling about all that he had done, all that he had accomplished. When his wife tried to say something, 
he overrode her and quickly got the conversation back to himself. At the conclusion, we were amazed how much he talked about himself. Now this man claimed to be a Christian. The reason for his success was not that he was looking to God, he was looking to himself. My dear friend, all of what we have comes down to God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 8. You say, well, Pastor, look what all I've got. Boy, I was looking the other day and I was looking out at some of these different folks around uh, the area and Boy, they've got cars, and they've got trucks, and they've got all sorts of things, and uh, tractors, and you name it, and they've got it. And this verse came to my mind, Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse number 17. In fact, God warned the children of Israel, says, you better be careful in your prosperity. Because prosperity does one thing. It causes us to get our eyes off the Lord. When we have things... When we're prosperous, we, we look at, this is what I've accomplished. Instead of, God, how good you have been. Here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, it says, um, And thou say in thine heart, My power and my uh, uh, power of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers as it is this day. America has been a very wealthy nation. You say, well, pastor, there's a lot of people that don't have much in America. We still have more than many nations of the world. We have more. We throw away more than many of the nations of the world. And because of that, we've come to a place in America now where it's give me, give me, give me. I deserve. And we have turned our back on God. We've turned our back on, on the one who has provided all of this for us. He is our God. Esau looked to himself. God was pouring out his blessings upon him. But he looked to himself. I want you to see something else. Esau cared more about the sensual things of this life rather than the spiritual. Turn with me back to Genesis chapter 25. Genesis chapter 25. And as you think of today, are you a, do you look to yourself as being a self-made person? Boy, my education, my knowledge, my understanding, it, it, uh, it's got me to where I am. You know, the Lord can change all that in a heartbeat. In a heartbeat can all be changed. Here in Genesis Chapter number 25, verse number 29, as we think of Edom, he was, Edom he, or Esau, he, was, he cared more about the sensual than the spiritual. And it says in chapter number 25 and verse number 29, And Jacob sawed pottage, in other words, he made pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, 
And he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way. And Esau despised his birthright. The Bible says he was faint. You know what that is. You understand what that is. Some of you are probably experiencing that right now. You know, you ate a, you ate a breakfast this morning at 8 o'clock. But we're nearing the hour of noon. And you've got your, you've got your mind at uh, 12 o'clock. And 12 o'clock is lunchtime. Uh, you, gotta, you need to eat at lunchtime. And your stomach starts growling. I've heard people sit down there where you are, and all of a sudden you're like, wow, that person needs to get something to eat. I remember we were at a camp one time. We were at a, at a, a couple's retreat, and there was a lady who was pregnant. And uh, when it came time for lunchtime, we were there. We were sitting there, and we were having hamburgers. And she says, I'm hungry. And I thought, well, okay, just calm down. They'll have the food out here in a minute. She said, no, I'm really, I'm hungry. And I, she, and I said, they'll have the food out in just a couple of minutes. We just sat down. She says, no, you don't understand. I need food right now. I mean, her eyes were getting, getting big. I thought she was going to start gnawing on somebody's arm or something until they got the food. When that, and that food came out, she, I mean, she had one hamburger, and she ate the second one like that, and the rest of us are still working on the first hamburger. I mean, she was... And she says, can I have another one? I mean, she, I, she was, I guess she was eating for two, I guess. Uh, but, you know, this is, how, this is how Esau was. Boy, I've got to get something to eat. And, and, and eating was, it was all that compassed his mind. In that moment uh, of that physical had so controlled his life. And Jacob's, he comes to Jacob and he says, Jacob, I want some of that soup. I want some of that soup. Or else I die. I guarantee you, he wasn't going to die. Some of us could live for several days without dying. Amen? It would probably do us good to diet a little bit or fast a little bit. But here, this man Esau, he said, I want this flesh. I want the sensual. I want to have this body things uh, taken care of. Now, and in that moment, Jacob says, I'll tell you what, sell me your birthright. You say, well, pastor, what, what good is a birthright? Well, the Jewish understanding was this. A person, the oldest son, would, at the time of the father's death, he would be given a double portion of the inheritance. Esau was the oldest son. So Jacob says, give me the birthright, sell me the birthright, for this soup, and and uh, and I'll give you some soup. He said, "Well, Jacob just should have done it." No, Jacob was—he understood. Not only did the birthright come with a double portion of the well, a uh, material wealth to be given to him, but also he was given the responsibility and the duty for spiritual things, leading the family. Jacob—that's what Jacob wanted. He wanted that right of worshiping God and that right of leading the family in worship. He wanted those things. And Esau said, well, what good is a birthright to me if I die? Spiritual things were not that important to Esau. He was more concerned about the, the, the physical things. And so he sold him his birthright. The physical desires were more important than him to the, than the spiritual. The satisfying of the flesh 
The here and the now was more important to Esau than the spiritual benefits which lay ahead. I want you to consider, and he sold him his birthright, by the way. I want you to consider how God looks at this decision that Esau made. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16. New Testament. Paul is the writer here of the book of Hebrews. And Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 16, we find God's sharing through the apostle Paul writing this portion. He says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for a morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. Interesting statement about that little decision. You say, well, Esau, he was just hungry to the point of death. Well, wait a minute. Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. I submit to you today, the spiritual is more important to us than the physical. It ought to be. Oh, today, folks, I submit to you, it's so much the opposite. Today, it's the sensual, it's the physical that's so important. And the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, is so minimized. When we think about spiritual food, as I'm preaching on Wednesday night, uh, talking about the importance of being, uh, the, the man of God being able to teach and, and to, uh, to shepherd the flock, to feed the flock of God, the feeding of the flock of God comes from the Word of God. This is the spiritual food for you and for me. So many churches today, they have 45 minutes of, of music, and music is good. It prepares our hearts for the message of God. When it comes to the message of God, people spend 15 minutes, and they think it's too long, too long to, to preach the Word of God. Folks, can I tell you something? It's the Word of God which is the food, the spiritual food for you and for me. People give testimonies. Testimonies are important. Singing songs, it's important. Specials are important. It prepares our heart. Now we're ready to hear what God has to say from His Word. And folks, today, we, there's a famine in the land where people don't want to hear what the Word of God has to say. Keep it short. How about you? It's important for us to be spiritually fed. It's to, important for us to, to build line upon line, precept upon precept. Folks, we need to get into the Word of God. People don't even want to carry their Bibles to church any longer. We want somebody else to do all the work. It's so important for us to get into the Word of God so that we can be fed, so that we can grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But Esau, nah, that's not important. Worshiping God, that's not important. Jesus said, they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. This is the truth, by the way, folks. The word of God. God calls Esau a fornicator and a profane person. There are those Christians who live the, for the here and the now to get all the gusto they can. They try uh, this thing uh, trying to, uh, and that thing, hoping to give them joy and peace. 
But consider what Jesus tells us about where we're supposed to place our emphasis. Matthew 6, 33, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Folks, we're to lay up spiritual things. Our life as a Christian is to be spiritually minded. To be spiritually minded is life and peace, but to be carnally minded, fleshly minded is death. Turn with me if you would to Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. now it came to pass that as they went, talking of Jesus and the disciples, that he entered into a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had, her, had a sister called Mary, which also sat at Jesus' feet. It's very important to notice where Mary is. And heard his word. But Martha was cumbered about with much serving, and came to him and said, Lord, dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? Bid her, therefore, that she help me. And Jesus answered and said unto her, Martha, Martha, thou art careful. That word careful means anxious. You're anxious and troubled about many things. I'm sure, you know, while is all the water glasses filled? You know, wait a minute, make sure the butter's on there. Make sure that all, I mean, she's worried about all this stuff. She, you know, you Jesus is saying, you're troubled about so many things. Well, you know what? We've got, we've got to make sure that the, that the meat's ready. Uh, notice what Jesus says, verse 42. But one thing is needful. And Mary hath chosen that good part. What was it? What was the good part? To, to sit and listen to Jesus. Sit at his feet and listen to his voice. Folks, today, can I tell you something? There's one thing that's needful for us. There's one thing, if you're a Christian, there's one thing that's needful for you. You say, well, pastor, you know, there's one thing that's needful for me. I, gotta have, a, I have to have a good job. No, that's not the one thing that's needful for you. Well, pastor, you know what? I need to have a mate. It's a good thing, but that's not the, that's not the most needful thing for you. Well, you know what? I, I, need, a, I need a house. I need, I, I need uh, resources. I need, I... There's one thing that's needful. And the Bible says, Jesus says, notice what he says, there's one thing that's needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part uh, which shall not be taken away from her, that can never be taken away from you. What is that? To sit at the feet of Jesus and to listen to his voice. If you're a Christian here today, there's one thing that's most important in your life. That's your relationship with Jesus Christ. More important than anything else why it's important for you to have time with him each day so that he can talk to you and you can talk to him to pray to him and to read his word god talks to us through his word we talk to him in prayer one thing is needful well pastor my life is so busy i don't have time for the lord then you're too busy you're too busy but i have all these responsibilities you're too busy 
You need to get your priorities in, in line. See, when our right, priority is right this way, can I tell you something? If we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another. Not only this way, but we have fellowship this way. When this gets off, our relationship with God gets off, can I tell you something? You're going to have conflict this way with other people. It's just a matter, matter of time. You won't see things like you ought to see things. You're not going to say the right things because you're not filled with his spirit to be able to have the right wisdom and to make the right choices and decisions in life. Esau was a man who cared more about the sensual than the spiritual. Where do you place your time and energy? Is it in earthly things or in heavenly things? I want you to see something else about Esau. Esau was a wrathful man. Go back to Genesis chapter 27. Remember, we talked about the fact that he didn't care about his birthright. He sold his birthright, that, that privilege of getting a double blessing. He had also sold uh, that, that uh, privilege of leading the family in spiritual things. In Genesis chapter 27, verse number 41, and this portion of Scripture, I'm not saying that Jacob was right in what he did, but Jacob said, you know what? I, he says, uh, I want the blessing of God on my life. And Rebecca said, told Rebecca, his mom said, well, you know what? What you need to do, Jacob, is because uh, daddy's eyes were kind of kind of blind. He couldn't see very well. And, and so he said, well, I tell you what you need to do. What you need to do, Jacob, is uh, uh, go and, and I'm going to, your father's asked Esau to go get some venison. And then he's going to come and he's going to bless him. Well, I, what I think you should do, Esau, is you go and, and you get a lamb and you fix it just the, the special way. I'll show you how to do that. And it, it, and so that um, you can get the blessing before your brother. And the Bible says that Jacob was, or Esau was a hairy man, and Jacob was smooth. He says, Jacob says, well, you know, when I go in there, and Dad just touches me, he's going to feel, feel that I'm not a hairy dude. And so she says, don't worry about that. We'll take care of that. We'll take some. We'll take some fur from a, an animal. We'll put it on your your. Your hand, so when he touches you, it'll, it'll feel like Esau. Man, Esau must have been pretty hairy. So he goes out and he fixes, he fixes this lamb just the way he does. He comes into dad and, and uh, tells his dad, he says, well, I'm here, dad. I've got, I got the venison for you. He says, really? Boy, you're back awfully soon. Well, the Lord was good to me. Lie number one, Jacob. Jacob didn't have it together yet either. And so dad says, well, come over here. I want to, your voice is the voice of Jacob, but, but you know, I, I don't know. So he said, come, come a little closer, Jacob. And Jacob did, and, and dad felt him and said, oh, feels like Esau. So he blessed him. He goes out, Jacob, after he's, Jacob's got the blessing, and all of a sudden Esau comes back in. He says, dad, I'm here. Here's the, the venison. It's all ready for you. He says, well, I just blessed you. And Esau realizes that his brother had tricked his dad. The name Jacob means their planter, deceiver. That's what Jacob means. And Jacob did what he did, what, what his name talked about. And Esau said, Dad, wait a minute. You were going to bless me with a blessing. He says, I know, but I gave it to Jacob. He says, don't you only, you only have one? One blessing, he says, no, I, I've got one. You, you know, you'll, you'll break the yoke of your brother, and, and good things will happen to you, but, you know, you're going to be subservient to your brother. 
And the Bible says as we look at this portion, verse 41, And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith the father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, The days of mourning for my brother are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. And these words of Esau, her elder son, were told to Rebekah, and she sent and called Jacob, her younger son, and said unto him, Behold thy brother Esau, as touching thee, doth comfort himself, purposing to kill thee. And she sends her son Jacob away. Esau was a man who was wrathful. He was a man who wanted to kill his brother. You know, the Bible says a few things about a wrathful man or a wrathful woman. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 17, He that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. And a man of wicked devices is hated. When we are angry, we make foolish decisions. How many have ever made a foolish decision when you've been angry? Well, I have. Proverbs 14, 29 says, He that is slow to wrath is of great understanding, but he that is hasty of spirit exalteth folly. Proverbs 19, 19, A man of great wrath shall suffer punishment. For if thou deliver him, thou must do it again. A person who's an angry person, if you deliver that person, guess what? You're going to wind up having to deliver that person again and again and again because they haven't learned to get control of themselves. Proverbs 22, verse 24, says this, and verse 25, Make no friendship with an angry man, with a furious man thou shalt not go, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to the soul. Hey, if you, got your, you have a person who's angry all the time, don't hang around with them because you're going to become like them. They're going to be the role model for you. James 1, 19 and 20, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. Esau was a man of vengeance and wrath. His desire to get even started with bitterness and led to hatred. What an example to follow. You say, well, Pastor, did, did the Edomites, the, the descendants of Edom, the, descent, the descendants of Esau, did they follow in his example? The answer is yes. Turn with me to Numbers, chapter number 20. Numbers, chapter 20, and verse 14. Here the children of Israel had come out of Egypt, and they're going into the Promised Land. And remember, they had come from Egypt, they were going to go to Canaan. In chapter 20 and verse number 14, about a million and a half Jews, they're on their way, and it says uh, they're, they're headed toward Canaan. It says, And Moses sent messengers from Kadesh unto the king of Edom. Thus saith thy brother Israel, Thou knowest all the travail that hath befallen us, how our fathers went down into Egypt, and we have dwelt in Egypt a long time, and the Egyptians vexed us, and and our fathers, and when we cried out uh, out unto the Lord, he heard our voice and sent an angel and hath brought us forth out of Egypt. And behold, we are in Kadesh, a city in the uttermost of thy border. Let us pass, I pray thee, through thy country. We will not pass through the, thy fields or, or through the vineyards, neither will we drink of the water of the wells. We will go by the king's highway. We will not turn to the right hand nor to the left until we have passed thy borders. And Edom said unto him, 
Thou shalt not pass by, lest I come out against thee with a sword. And the children of Israel said unto him, We will go by the, king, uh, by the highway, and if I or my cattle drink of thy water, then will I pay for it. I will only, without uh, doing anything else, go through thy, uh, on my feet. And he said, Thou shalt not go through. And Edom came out against him with much people and with a strong hand. Thus Edom refused to give Israel passage through his border, wherefore Israel turned away from him. Hey, Esau's example, unkind, self-centered, dealing with the sensual. Boy, these people are going to rip us off transferred to the descendants of Esau. They were selfish and would not share what they had. Instead of being merciful, they showed no mercy. Go to Amos chapter 1 and verse number 11. Amos chapter 1 and verse 11. Amos chapter 1 and verse number 11. God speaks of judgment upon the nation of Edom. It says, Amos 1 11, Thus saith the Lord, For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not turn away the punishment thereof, because he did purpose, or excuse me, he did pursue his brother with a sword and did cast off all pity and his anger did tear perpetually, and he kept his wrath forever. Interesting. Here's Esau. He was a role model for his descendants. Guess what? They followed his example. You know, we could look at Malachi verse 1. Let's go over there very quickly. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. And consider, we talked about Esau, self-made man. I can do this all myself. I build myself up. Malachi chapter 1, verse 3, it says, God speaking, and I have hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. Here's Edom. I'm going to be the self-made man. I thought about Katrina, the Hurricane Katrina, when it came through Louisiana and in that area right there. It was a horrible thing that happened. But I can remember the people as they were talking about some of those wicked areas there. And uh, they were saying, well, you know what? It's all destroyed, and, but we're going to build back. We're going to be better than we were before. I thought, you know what? This is exactly what Esau was saying. You know what? God, you can tear it down, but we're going to build it up. Folks, I submit to you today. Esau 
was a role model for his families, his generations to come. These are the generations of Esau. We have a bad example, but you know the Bible re- tells us about a good example, about a man by the name of Abraham. He's called the father of all them that believe. When God called Abraham in Genesis chapter number 12, we, won't, we can look there, but we, we won't right now at this point. God called Abraham and says, I want you to leave father and mother and I go into a land that I will, I will lead you. And Abraham left all and he, and he went. He was a man of faith. He was a man of belief. He was a man who trusted God. The Bible says in chapter number 18 that when God was going to destroy Sodom, that, that he came down and he told Abraham that he was getting ready to destroy Sodom because Lot was there in that city. And he was going to tell him about that. And he says, you know what, Abraham, he says, I'm going to tell Abraham because Abraham is the one who's going to command his family to keep my commandments. He was one who followed after God. Abraham was a man who was willing to sacrifice all to God. When God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, his son, upon the altar, Abraham packed up and he said, he went and he was willing to lay his son on the altar. He was not going to hold anything back. And God blessed Abraham because of his faithfulness. He's the father of all them that believe. Today, folks, you know, we have examples to follow. And we are probably following some example today. Say, well, I'm looking at this person over here because they're financially well off and they've got all sorts of wealth. That's who I'm going to follow. Folks, God calls us to follow that which is righteous. It's good to have those principles in our mind, but can I tell you something? The principles of God are far greater. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things are shall be added unto you. Esau left a poor example for his family to follow. What about you? What about you? Your family, as they look at you and they remember you, what type of example are they going to remember about you? Well, you know what? Those people were just, they were out for themselves. They were cantankerous. They were mean. They were nasty. They were selfish. Is that what they're going to remember about you? Is that the example that you want them to follow? Or are you going to be an example like Abraham? You know what? I'm going to trust God. Staggered not in unbelief. God says, you're going to have a son. Well, I don't know how it's going to happen, God, but he staggered not. He, he just kept believing God. Folks, what about you? People are watching you today. People are watching your testimony. They're watching how you're living. What type of mo- model are you setting for them? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you this day. And Lord, we do pray that you would speak to our hearts in this time of invitation. Lord, we understand that each of us have a choice in the type of model we want to follow, the role model we want to follow, and also the type of role model we want to be for the next generation. We can't just say that people are not going to follow us because people will. Father, today I pray that you would help us to walk in righteousness and true holiness and desire to be the people that you would have for us today. 
Father, there may be those that are here today that know not the Lord Jesus Christ. Their life is apart from You. They don't know You as their Savior. Lord, You've said that they're a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death, but the gift, the free gift of eternal life is available to them today through the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that they would see themselves as a sinner, realize that Jesus is the only Savior, and that today, right now, in this moment, that they would ask Jesus Christ to come into their heart and their life and save them. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. Right now, as you think about your own life, I don't know where you are, if you're saved or lost. But I do know one thing, that you're either on your way to heaven because you've asked Jesus to be your Savior, or you're on your way to hell because you have not asked Jesus to be your Savior. You say, well, I don't want to go to hell. God has provided a way so that you don't have to go. It's not based upon how much money you have or how much money you give. It's based upon the fact of His Son who died on a cross and shed His precious blood to pay the price for your sin. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Today, if you humble yourself and be willing to say, God, you know what? I am a sinner. I know I've done things wrong. And I believe that you sent your son to die for me. I want him to come into my heart, into my life, and save me today. He will. He'll save you. Willing to turn to Jesus and turn from your sin. Right now in the quietness of your heart, you can pray a simple prayer if you want. Just say, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I want to turn to Jesus and turn from my sin. I want to follow him today. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer right now, and you truly meant it, Jesus is not going to turn you away. He's going to accept you, and he's going to come into your heart and to stay. If you prayed and asked Jesus to be your Savior, it's the greatest decision you could ever make. In a moment, we're going to have an invitation. And we're going to have the instrument play in just a moment and give you an opportunity. If you're, if you're not sure you're saved or if you just prayed and asked Christ to be your Savior, I'm going to ask you to come and just say, hey, I'd like to ask Jesus to be my Savior or I ask Jesus to be my Savior today. He's a wonderful Savior. If you've never been baptized since you've been saved, let me encourage you to follow the Lord in believer's baptism. You must believe before you can be baptized. That's what the Bible teaches. For some of us today, as you look at your life and say, Pastor, you know what? My life's not a very good role model. Maybe there are some things that God's been speaking to your heart about today. And you need to come to the altar today and get those things right with God so you can be the right type of example. To be a godly example for others to follow. Dear Father, we pray that you'd work in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I'm going to ask the instrument to begin playing. The song of invitation.